Hello everyone, this is Noah and John and we are from Urban Digs and we are talking Manhattan and Johnny, we're going deep into new development today. Yep. I don't know if you got any thoughts on that, but we got Shlomi Rovini here of Rovini Real Estate. Well, I'll, I'll tell you my thoughts on that, Noah. We had Shlomi on about a year ago and it was um, one of our top podcasts. We had so many questions after that. I think Shlomi was just hitting nails on head left and right. So I'm hoping we have a repeat performance today. Yeah, well, I mean, it's rare to get I'm someone like him here. with me, so let's go. Yeah, <laughs> let's stop wasting. That's him right down there, by the way, everybody. We're just talking All right. about here. But... Shlomi, let's get right into it. What's going on in the new development sector in Manhattan? Please tell us. Uh, well, it depends because Manhattan is a big, is a big area, and right now the market is all about submarkets. It's not a, it's it's very difficult to apply general observations even because it's all about submarkets. In other words, new development in the West Village is doing extremely well. Certain new developments on the Upper East Side in the past few weeks, uh, namely the Benson Mickey Naftali's project, are doing very well. 301 East 80th, where we haven't seen any transactions in a very long time in the past few weeks, is showing a slew of transactions over $5 million in a location that was we never thought possible at a price per square foot that's very high. Um, certain other areas are not doing so well. I mean, if you look at the first, second, third avenue corridor on the Upper East Side, um, uh, the 301 East 80th is, is just in, in sort of an, an abnormal situation when it comes to absorption with other projects. You're not seeing that everywhere. So it really depends on a product and it depends on a location. Overall, absorption is not as high and where it should be. Um, we're definitely seeing challenges in the marketplace. It takes longer to sell. Negotiations are very, very aggressive. Deals fall through more than deals are being made. Um, everybody's expecting the world. Everybody and their broker is expecting the world. Um, and it's a tough market. Um, whether you're selling, you know, the majority of transactions in the city right now, between 85 and 90% of all transactions in Manhattan are under $3 million, right? 75% of all transactions are under $2 million. 50% of all transactions are under a million dollars. Now that's not just condos, it's co-ops as well. Mm -hmm. But the majority of the transactions are you know, at a lower price point. Um, and when you look at product, call it a one bedroom, a two bedroom apartment or a small three bedroom apartment that's 14 to 1500 square feet um, in new developments, that kind of product exists everywhere. You can find it in a financial district, you can find it in Hell's Kitchen, you can find it in Nomad or in the Upper West Side. Right. So unless a buyer is very specific about where they want to live and these days it's not as specific as it used to be in terms of a neighborhood, especially for the one and two bedroom units, you could look in a financial district just as well as you could look in Murray Hill or in West Chelsea. And you could live anywhere because you don't have that issue of a specific neighborhood, maybe because of uh, schools or because of even work. Right. So what you're doing is you're looking for the best deal possible. And there's a lot on the market. If you're looking for a two-bedroom apartment around $2.5 million or anywhere between two and 2.5, you know, $2,000 a foot uh, per Schedule A pre-COVID, there's a lot of inventory on the market. So as, a, as a, an educated consumer in today's market, you just go around and you shop, mm -hmm. you know, and you put in aggressive offers. Um, and that's a challenging condition. Now, if you're in a market for something a little more substantial in terms of price point, and, and it's in your belly to spend 10 to $20 million and you have a family with kids and you want a very specific neighborhood, that's where it's a little more challenging as a buyer because in certain areas, there's actually lack of inventory. Uh, 
so but but so what we've seen, for example, you know, I have a project in a West Village that's been doing very very well in the past few months called 90 Morton. Uh, we have very large units. It's a beautiful conversion with very boutique, very high end outdoor spaces and great amenities. And that that type of a product today is doing extremely well. There's a lot of demand for it from local families who were sitting on the sidelines in the past few years and did not buy because prices were just too high, who are committed to New York. Their kids go to school here, they work here, and they believe in the future of New York. They have cash. They haven't been affected by COVID uh, financially. In fact, they might have done really well during COVID. Wall Street has been very kind to a lot of people. And now they can get great deals. Everything is negotiable regardless of where you know your project is. And you can get a much better deal today than you could have a year ago. And they're purchasing. Right. The Upper East Side, you know, I mentioned Mickey Naftali's building. That's, uh, that may be an outlier for the Upper East Side, uh, but that's doing incredibly well. Mm-hmm. Uh, that sold a bunch of units that they just reported recently. Um, the penthouse at $35 million. According to Mickey, they're not negotiating much. I believe that for that location, for that project, for that unit mix and design, because yeah. right now that that's the demographic that's looking, that's the demographic with cash, um, and they are purchasing today. Um, so that's doing extremely well. But you can't, there aren't too many projects like that in a city. And overall, absorption is very low, and, and conditions are very challenging, and a developer has to be very creative with how they negotiate and hopefully they have the right representation because it's all in a negotiation. It's all in a representation today and things are very emotional and very sensitive with buyers. Anything can kill a deal in a second. Right. It, it honestly, it sounds a lot like 2009 when it, not only could things kill a deal in a second, but deals were just hard to have to begin with. And I'm just curious, how does today's market compare to 2009 at the, at the peak of the crisis? So that's a great question. And that's exactly what, you know, people who had been, in that marketplace, you know, doing the comparison. I think, you know, the first few months of COVID, I would say, you know, March 15th, by the way, today's the anniversary. March 15, 2020 was the last day of normal operations pre-COVID. That, that's when the city shut down. And today is nine months later. The first few months were dead. I mean, there was nothing going on. It wasn't just lack of activity, it was tremendous fear when it comes to the economy, when it comes to, um, uh, you know, the, 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 the vaccine and the virus itself. Um, I would compare that possibly to uh, six months after September 2008, where, you know, we were sitting there facing the abyss, not knowing where the world was going, right? Things were just dark. The main difference between now and then is that there was no capital back then. There was no money on the street. You couldn't borrow to do anything. You couldn't borrow to do a new development project. Today, you can still get money from a bank. It might be more difficult, but there's a lot of money on the street. There was no capital back then. The main difference that I see as a concern is how long is this going to last? Because we came out of it fairly quickly in 2009. I mean, late 2010, we kind of, you know, we were out of it and things just started to escalate at that point. And for new development, that was the golden era of new development because there was no inventory, no new permits, a lot of demand, pent up demand, and a lot of cash. People made a lot of money, um, you know, on Wall Street and weren't spending it out of fear. But at some point, the gates opened up and everybody was buying. And that's when all those, you know, projects did extremely well. Like, 150 Charles, 56 Leonard, 
Walker Tower, 157 West 57th Street, the first 40, 50% of it, or 60% of it, did extremely well because there was a frenzy of buying. You know, uh, uh, Bloomberg was the mayor here. He injected a lot of money into the city. The federal government put a lot of money into the city. Um, and the city became the place to be. And foreign investments just kept pouring in, right? The issue I'm seeing today is I just don't know how much time it's going to take to get out of this cycle that we're in. Because while the past few months have been really good um, in terms of high-end transactions, to me, that's not an indication of the total market. I think the market right. is very challenging. That's a very small sector of the market. Percentage-wise, you're talking about 15 to maybe 20% of the market, maybe at the high end. You know, the bulk of the market is very, is very challenging. But on top of it, the city is, is hurting right now. There's a very deep deficit. All around us, there's a financial meltdown that we haven't even felt yet here. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think 2021 is is I think a lot of people are expecting 2021 to kind of be that that again the tsunami came in and now we're just going to see the devastation around there. But Shlomi, I want to ask you a quick question. When I think back to um, 2000 before the before the great financial crisis, you know the seeds that were being sown before 2005, 2006, 2007, 2008, right? Um, if I recall, I and mean, correct me if I'm wrong, there was not even with the new development boom, there was not a lot of inventory back then with new developments. That's right. Well, in 2005, there wasn't because 2005 is when we sort of like the new, the new development world kind of started in right. 2004, yeah. 2005, and then started to escalate and then leveled off. And then there was an explosion in 2008. Right. And then there was, there was no inventory at all when we were coming out of 2008. And that's what drove uh, the success of new developments. But today, if you're today, to that, today there's more, new, more pipeline of projects. You're right. There's right. So from a supply standpoint, I mean, that's, it's got to be one big difference from, from a supply standpoint. But I mean, I'm just wondering, though, because um, you mentioned some, some of these buildings are selling, some of them are not selling, some of them are spotty. I mean, buyers want to put a broad stroke on everything. They want to put every single building into a category of new development and just assume that everything's down 15, 20 percent. Right. That's what they're kind of thinking in their head. Um, you are clearly telling us that that is not the case. But in terms of inventory out there, you're telling me that some people are just are some people going to hold back um, units? Are some people going to convert units? I mean, when I think of inventory out there, is it not really 100% that's going to be for sale? Because so I, th I think that, that that question is, I think it's very different from one developer to another, one capital stack to another. It all depends on where you are in the process. Right. If you just started a project and you're in construction and you fully financed, you're going to move forward because there's nothing else for you to do. You're not going to stop and you're going to hope for a better day in two years. And hopefully by then the cycle gets better for you and you can sell and get, you can absorb, right? And right. in the meantime, money is coming in and, and you're working the project. Now, if you're 60%, 70% sold and you paid off your bank and what you're sitting on right now is profit, then do whatever you can with it, whatever you want with it. You can possibly refinance your inventory. You can rent some of it and try to sell uh, other inventory or you can hope for a better day and maybe sell it at a later point you may not have so much pressure and stress on you in terms of your lender. If you're 20% sold, 30% sold, at some point while the banks right now are still trying to work out things mm -hmm. with their developers, at some point, if this goes on you know, longer, the bank is gonna come down knocking. And then what, right? You can only kick the can to a certain point. And at that, at that point, which is, by the way, it's what a lot of, very smart, aggressive capital is looking for right now. They're right. looking for those deals that will go back to the bank. 
Now, those banks may not be able to service those projects. Banks are not in the real estate business necessarily. They may want to give them away or sell them at cost or at a discount. And there's a lot of money right now sitting on the sidelines waiting to purchase those loans and that debt and those projects so they can bring it back to the market, possibly at a discount because they're buying it at a deeper discount and then sell it at lower numbers. Now that sell it at lower numbers has an impact on the market because if that's gonna, try, if that's gonna happen en masse and you're gonna have a bunch of projects coming into the city at 40 cents on a dollar or 50 cents on a dollar, what is that gonna do to remaining inventory in the city? Yeah. Right? So the pipeline, the pipeline, and then there's more units that are coming to market. And most of that pipeline is, is projects that were purchased, the land that was purchased two years ago, I know about two years ago, at very high numbers that add to that construction and cost of money and yeah. lack of absorption and a longer you know, period of time for selling may not make the numbers, and, right? I mean, it's stop, they'll stop building, right? Well, again, depends on where you are in the process. If you fully finance with your construction loan, it would be very tough to, to hold and not continue building. If right. you haven't started building, it's, it's different. That's, what I, was, that's right. what I was referencing to is that you didn't even start yet. Yeah, absolutely. If you haven't started, it might be better to wait. And I know some developers who decided to just hold back and even bite the bullet on taxes and whatever expenses they may have in the meantime and not build, not get into that uh, uh, phase. Go ahead, Johnny. I was going to say, well, you know, you talk about supply. This is all sort of in the here and now. And I'm just curious if, if you project, you know, basically what's going on on the ground right now is at a minimum. And if you put yourself in the New York of, say, three to four years, five years even now, is it possible we could even see a shortage in, in supply exactly. uh, going forward? Yeah. So you, you have to have long-term vision and you have to have a sense of optimism as well, right? Uh, but, the, but that's the way I see things. I, I think the, the, the short term is going to be tough. Mm -hmm. you know, yeah. I have a very good uh, three months. Uh, I know brokers this fall who made more money than they've made throughout their career. Yeah. I mean, it's like that, also. that to me, that to me is a very small sector of the market. And, and I think things are going to get worse before they get better. I think 2021 possibly could be a tough, a very tough year. But my, my projections are already on, you know, past that. And what's going to happen once we get absorption, once we get back to normal, normal. And at that point, I think there will be shortage of inventory, just like we saw in 2010 and 11. And then the market will shoot up again and there'll be a reset of pricing. New inventory is going to come in and the whole cycle is going to start again. A big element to that, a big part of it is local government. Who yeah. are we going to get as mayor next year? What's the, what are the policies going to be like? Uh, because what's hindering us, what has been hindering us even before COVID, it has been the, the new laws that came out here that is just killing the industry killing the industry. Yeah, the rent regulation, um, the assault the, the deductions, we've had LLCs, we've had a whole number of, of policy changes that has affected this market since 2015. That's so right. I think it's short-sighted. I think it's doing things in a vacuum. I don't, I don't think it's big thinking and it's smart thinking. And, and I think that needs a change. And unless you have a change, it's just going to be uh, painful for longer period of time. I think that definitely has to change. And if that changes, vaccine will come in, Things will come back to normal. Hotels are going to start opening up again. Flights will take place again. Offices are going to be filled up with people again. And New York, like always, will thrive. There's no place like this city. And yeah. we are seeing the, the persistent demand that we have for the city, even during COVID. People want to be here. They're just viciously um, stubborn about being in New York, about living in New York, about experiencing New York. 
even people that had gone out to the suburbs and bought houses in Jersey and Connecticut and whatever, you know, right. to escape uh, COVID. I know a lot of people are coming back to the city now. They don't want to be out there. They want to be in the city. And I'm sure if you're a buyer, you're recognizing this. You're probably feeling it. I mean, but Shlomi, listen, we got, we got a lot of buyers out there. We got a lot of brokers that represent buyers out there. I'm going to put you on the spot, okay? If you just had to even look at deals that you're doing or deals that, um, you know, I know you're in some higher end price points and stuff like that. Um, could you give an idea to these guys approximately? Are concessions going the other way now? Because, I mean, concessions were big time in buyers' favors a few months ago. Are they starting to regress back to normal? But what is their negotiability around, if you can give us an idea? Of course. So let me take out all the outliers in the marketplace and not, not focus on those projects that are doing better than others with more absorption, less negotiability, and less incentives, mm -hmm. right? I think throughout the market right now, to be a buyer with cash is an excellent position. And you should, you should negotiate as aggressively as possible. It just conditions in the marketplace. Sellers yeah. and developers need to unload inventory. And yeah, you can be aggressive. What, what's aggressive? I'm definitely seeing concessions. And concessions mean could be transfer taxes or mansion taxes, could be common charges or taxes um, or real estate taxes. And it could be uh, price drops. Now, every developer, if we're talking about new developments, every developer has a threshold for where they can go. And, and it has to do, it, it's not that they can just do this and reduce prices, even if they wanted to. They have lenders, they have partners, there are thresholds. So some developers may only be able to do seven to 10%. Some developers may be able to go 15 to 20%. All depends on their basis, depends on their capital stack positioning and depends on their lenders. So as a, as, a, as a buyer, you should look at a lot of inventory. You should do your homework. Do your due diligence, look at comps, Use a smart broker who knows how to negotiate for you because a lot of times many of the brokers could kill deals, could kill deals for a developer, could kill deals for a buyer as well. The negotiability aspect and the representation here is extremely important. Attorney as a broker, you got to be in touch with the person representing a project. You have to understand where the thresholds are and you have to be smart about managing the process for your buyer. Now, as a buyer, if you do find something that you like, this is not just an investment. It's always an investment when you buy real estate, but you're buying for yourself, you're buying for your family, right? There is an emotional attachment there as well. If it isn't, if it's just black on white, then you buy whatever the, the most aggressive deal. But if you find something you like because of location and it becomes your home or because of proximity to school or to work and becomes your home, there is added value that goes beyond just the price itself. But you should negotiate hard but you can, because you can get amazing deals today. Yeah. And, and I, I think that's, that's one of those next, yeah, sorry, I didn't mean to step on your toes or no, but tell me that was one of the points you made last year, which is that a smart broker is going to basically negotiate on everything. And that's, that's the difference between the good brokers and the great brokers is the great brokers realize that all of these things are different negotiating lines uh, that they can go from. Um, so I don't know if you, if you have any more information on which you can pass on to sort of, you know, buyers out there in terms of advice on, on the bid side, uh, just in terms of, of overall uh, new devs that, are, that may not be doing so well. I mean, is there a, is there a certain point that they should put in their mind, like a, a number that they can say, all right, well, maybe it's 15% or anything like that, or? I, I think it's reasonable in a marketplace today to look at anywhere between seven to 15%. Uh, it's what I'm hearing from developers. It's what I'm hearing from brokers and what I'm hearing from buyers as well. Now, could it be that some projects cannot negotiate past a certain point that's maybe five to 7%? Sure, or not willing because the demand for their projects is good, and they have limited inventory and they have the patience to wait. And some projects will possibly negotiate even deeper. It's worth asking, right? 
but be respectful of the process and be respectful yeah. of your buyers as well. And try to understand in the brokerage community, you work for your buyer. Your fiduciary responsibility here is not for yourself. Mm-hmm. It's for your buyer. I'm seeing a lot where, you know, I'll give you an example. I'm not going to come and show you a project if you don't pay me X. All right. That's not working on behalf of your buyer. That's not working in the best interest of your buyer. If you choose not to show something to a buyer, not because you think it may not work for them, but because you're not going to make enough money about on, on this deal, that, that is not dealing in an ethical way. I don't think, right? There's always a smart way to negotiate a good deal for yourself. Uh, depends on how you present and depends on who you talk to. You got to be respectful of the process. This is challenging conditions and challenging times. I can tell you, I've been a broker since 1986. I know brokers very well. I think like a broker. I am a broker, even though I own my company. I can tell you, like I said before, some brokers have made the most money that they've ever made in, in the industry. Some brokers have had the worst year that they've ever had in the industry. A lot of brokers out there are not making, are not making money at all. You know, so it's very emotional and it's very, very difficult. And when you're under these conditions, you see the best and the worst in people, buyers, developers, and also brokers. But you got to respect the process and you got to respect our industry. Yeah, I, I like that you say that. And I hope buyers really understand that, that just because you think the market's down 15, 20%, or just because you hear Shlomi talk about a high end of a range, that doesn't mean one specific building and one specific product is going to agree to those terms. And if they don't, that's their prerogative. And that's, that's not something to get all crazy for. You move on. You can try. You're hearing it from the, from the horse's mouth. You try. There are some aggressive deals out there, but be respectful. So I think that's great advice. Listen, our time is up. Um, John, any last words for Shlomi? No, Shlomi, I'm just curious. Uh, you know, one of the things you mentioned, um, you know, last year was that it was sort of a less of an incentive for people to go out and start purchasing new developments now. And I'm curious, you know, what the incentives might be now, aside from just a great deal. What does the buyer, you know, what does a condo buyer um, get in, in exchange for getting that new development versus getting sort of a resale condo that was maybe built in say 85. So look, you can get a resale today. I think in any part of the city stuff that was built in late eighties, or early nineties for like $1,300 a foot, right? Usually that product is dated eight foot ceilings, eight and a half foot ceiling, PTAC units, smaller windows, uh, work that you might have to do. It's dated, right? Uh, it makes a big difference between something like that and a brand new product. Uh, it's always sexier, it's cleaner, it's fresher. The technology might be better in terms of smart home technology, definitely better technology in terms of windows and your mechanical system. There's a premium to pay for that. Mm-hmm. If I were a buyer today and I didn't care about that, I would definitely buy a resale, right? If I can get something for $1,200 a foot where a new development may cost me $1,800 a foot after negotiations, that $600 a foot you know, on 2,000 square feet is a lot of money, Right. So if I don't care for that, I would either buy that or go into a co-op where I can get something for even less different ownership structure. But if I want something new and I'm thinking about the next 10 years as well, then I'll probably end up in a new development and I'll just be smart about what new project I go into and I'll try and negotiate the best possible deal for myself. And there are deals out there. That's all right. I don't don't want to drag this out too far, but I think it's a great point. I'm just curious, you know, what what would it cost to get sort of that late 80s, early 90s, condo resale condo on par in terms of a price per square foot basis on par with uh, with a new development I mean, in terms of construction costs is it is it two three hundred dollars a square foot basically i mean what's the what's the real difference in value here well i mean you can take a two thousand square foot apartment that's completely dated and if you want to build that up you might be looking at about three to four hundred dollars a foot in renovations 
right? Depending on, on your infrastructure and what you're doing in terms of mechanicals. The problem is that a lot of these type of buildings do have like PTAC units and PTAC unit may not be what you wanna be living with right now. And who wants to go through the work and the time and it always ends up uh, costing more at the end. Opportunity cost too of living somewhere else too. Yeah. Right. The beauty about today's market is that you can get excellent product for reduced discounted price. Yeah. Excellent product, and and you will probably want to end up with something that's going to last a while if you look at it as an investment into the future. It's an unbelievable opportunity. Yeah, I think it's great. So this has been a very, very helpful um, insight into what's going on. Thank you so much for bridging the gap. That is Shlomi Ravini of Ravini Real Estate. That is John Walkup. I am Noah Rosenblatt. We are from Urban Digs Talk in Manhattan, and we'll catch you next time.